1: Wild Willy Fuel has partnered with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to offer you, the racer, 20% off when you use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, at checkout. Now, Wild Willie Fuel is the industry-leading manufacturer of professional fuel scent and top loop. They have over 60 unique fuel scents. Wild Willie has just the products you need to set yourself apart from the competition everybody wants that good smell they got from the industry's number one selling scent ex-girlfriend (laughs) <laughs> how cool is that to the brand new fragrance Fruit Loops love me some Fruit Loops you are sure to find something that fits your personality over 60 unique scents surely you'll find something in there now Wild Willy fuel fragrances can be used in race gas methanol ethanol diesel or pump gas you can put it in all different kinds of fuels and their scents are compatible with carburetors fuel injectors O2 sensors and catalytic converters so stop by and check them out at www.wildwillyfield.com and don't forget to use the promo code luke l-u-k-e to save 20% today as this holiday season i'm giving thanks to our friends at manscape did i tell my extended family that i have the performance package 4.0 from the global leaders in below the waist grooming not to mention it includes their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer to tame my jungle and score brownie points for the in-laws. Gift yourself, Manscaped, or the man in your life who needs it. Join the 4 million men, 4 million worldwide, who trust Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code JED, that's J-E-D, by going to manscaped.com. Now, Manscaped has been busy, real busy, and they just launched their refined body wash and two-in-one shampoo plus conditioner. Now both feature the Manscaped signature scent and will help unlock your confidence this year and your boys and your body will be oh so fresh and so clean when you start off your self-care routine. Now Manscaped has been busy and just launched their refined body wash and two-in-one shampoo plus conditioner. Now both feature the Manscaped signature scent and will help unlock your confidence this year. Your boys and your body will be oh so fresh And so clean when you start off your self-care routine with the ultimate body wash, shampoo, and conditioner. All you got to do is go to manscaped.com and put in the promo code Jed, J-E-D, to get 20% off plus free shipping. Guys, it's 20% off plus free shipping. And all you got to do is go to manscaped.com and put in the promo code Jed. Simply put J-E-D in the box. You'll be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all,
0: the sportsman drag racing podcast where we sometimes discuss u.s olympic athletes adult film stars and sportsman drag racing big jed how
1: are you luke i'm well i am well i am uh, i'm not as good as you coming off a, a great race weekend but um i'm doing good man I, it's been uh, busy at work and uh, life in general is busy and just trying to catch up on my rest after a huge week that we're about to discuss but uh, other than that you know, no complaints my man hope the same for you
0: it, it, no complaints it was a huge week we've got a lot to unpack uh, we were both at capital city motorsports park for the great american guaranteed million we've got a lot to break down from that i will go ahead and open the show with the disclaimer big jed no timing blocks were injured in the recording of this episode no t-1000s were damaged and uh, i think we can both agree it is much warmer in our respective homes than it was in montgomery alabama last weekend Woo! yes it's chilly
1: no doubt about that luke uh, it does feel good to be indoors and, and be in a controlled temperature environment and uh, montgomery was a good time again we're going to talk about that a lot uh by the way i don't think you and i could have been parked farther away from one another no, uh, no at the right. event uh i believe we were at both the extreme ends of the facility and and as far away as we could get. So I missed you there, but I enjoyed hanging out with you and racing and, and getting to watch you race. And, you know, that's, uh, again, it's always a good time. And, and that's uh that's a highlight for me because we're such good friends and we've done so much stuff together over the years, which I'm very appreciative of, but the way you talk to me, When we ended the show a little bit ago about how I shortchanged you and didn't give you your opportunity for shouts, um, that's not indicative of the kind of relationship that I want us to have and that I felt like we had. So I want to publicly apologize to you because I know I caused that chewing and, um, I want our listeners to know that shouts won't fall in their normal spot. By God, don't hang up until you hear Luke's shouts, which were incredible, by the way. But don't hang up until you hear Luke's shouts because they're really good, and and I caused them to get out of place, and I'm I'm saddened by my by my actions.
0: Fair enough. All things, Great American Guaranteed Million. A couple of uh, NHRA Lucas Oil champs crowned since the last time that we talked with a little bit of drama involved. And yes, at the very end, shouts. But first, PJ North. Big Jed, you were in Montgomery for the Great American Guaranteed Million Dollar Race. I was in Montgomery for the Great American Guaranteed Million Dollar Race. We put together a list of, I think we were trying to get to 10, I don't think we got to 10, takeaways from the great American guaranteed million dollar race.
1: Yeah, Luke, I mean, the event was uh, incredible, uh, especially considering some of the challenges they had with weather and whatnot, but uh, man, there was so much happening within and around the event. It's going to make for a great podcast. I mean, we we have got quite a list to talk about, and probably won't touch on everything that that some people could consider interesting. But it's going to be plenty, and
0: this show is probably going to last a little while. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack, right? We were there for <laughs> yeah. we were there for a week. It felt like it felt like we were there for a month. Yes, um, it
1: did feel long.
0: All right. So, takeaway number one: Did I mention it was the guaranteed million? Like. A million dollars to win, and it happened. Like they paid it all out. It's. I saw a post. Uh, Andrew Sturk, one of our Canadian friends, had made a post asking, uh, "Why does this event not get more attention from whether it be the, the drag racing media or mainstream media in general?" Right. Like, though, there's not many instances in motorsports as a whole where this magnitude of a purse has been paid out. And I don't know that it's ever happened from a single promotion team multiple times. And now Galen Britt have done this multiple times paid out a full guaranteed million dollars to win and that's not even the whole purse. Like I don't I don't know that I can speak necessarily to the broader media attention. Obviously we're talking about it here in our little in our little circle. But even within our realm, like I don't, I think it's easy to take this for granted. And I just want to take this opportunity to give Galen and Britt and that team credit where credit is due, because this cannot be an easy thing to pull off. And I'm not here to say that the event went without a hitch; that everything was perfect. Like I don't know that I've ever been to an event where everything was perfect. But they pulled this off, and they actually. (laughs) I mean, we'll get to this later, but they got every race in that was on the flyer and given the forecast and the weather that actually happened. I didn't think that was possible. It happened. Like, I just I want to take this opportunity to give credit where credit was due. They pulled this off. They paid a million dollars to the winner, did everything they said they were going to do. Like, uh, I don't I don't think we can understate that. I don't think we can overstate that would be the right way to put that.
1: Yeah, very well said, Luke. I mean, you know, it's hard to understand. <clears throat> how challenging it is to to do something like this until you you live it on whatever scale you live it on i mean you put on races i put on races and i don't know how difficult it is um i couldn't imagine a million dollars on the line now it was pre-entry race so there is some there is some comfort there in knowing who or what has entered and and when you're quote unquote covered but nonetheless, uh, just to go down that path at any level is risky. And you're talking about enough risk here that things go wrong, especially that time of year. You know, it could be devastating financially. Although it was pre-entry race and they were they were covered well enough that they went ahead with it. Um, you know, let's just say the cold set in the rain set in, whatever, uh, things get disrupted or, or start having to cancel stuff, it could be financially devastating. So that that was not clear for them, that the financial part of it was not clear for them until very late in the weekend. So again, just a, an amazing effort on their part, uh, tremendous will to go forward with it and, and do it when everyone said, Uh, just, it's not right. It's not right time this year's you'll never pull it off again. And they did it. And quite frankly, as a racer that was involved as well, I mean, I don't know about you, Luke, you, you staged for some really big stuff and you've accomplished a lot in the sport. When I rolled around the tower first round Friday, I couldn't help but think I'm about to stage against this sucker and there's a million dollars on the line. I mean, I, I bubble gutted just a little bit. So, uh, it was, um. It was an amazing feeling as part of the team that, that was, uh, bringing the race to you. And it was an amazing feeling being on the racetrack. I got to enjoy both sides of it. uh, For me, it was an incredible opportunity.
0: You talked a little bit yet about the, the stress that goes along with the financial aspect of, of that. And I can't really even begin to imagine that, but I'll just tell you too, like, maybe I'm too much of this, but I am absolutely a, a people pleaser. And particularly in that situation, like every customer that you have as as the promoter of that event has made a significant, significant investment and showed in good faith in you. And the pressure to deliver on that has got to be immense, especially when you're dealing with numbers as big as they're dealing with. Like, I just, I can't begin to imagine it. And I'll, I'll say this too, like, It's got to be difficult on their end because I felt myself slipping into this trap at times throughout the weekend, like whenever everything didn't go perfect, or I didn't 100% agree with the decision that was made or whatever, right? There's always instances of that throughout an event. I caught myself thinking, my God, I've got several thousand dollars invested in this. And it's almost as if that investment should make me entitled to have everything go exactly the way that I want it. Like, I caught myself feeling that. And I guarantee you, there were 400 racers feeling that at some point throughout the weekend. And all of that turns back on Galen and Britt. Like, it's going to be a really difficult position to be in. You know, what I mean, I would like to think that cooler heads prevail and we realize, like, hey, it's unrealistic for everything to go exactly the way that we all want it to go. But I'm telling you, as the stakes increase, like, you you feel like you are somehow entitled to quote unquote get your money's worth, and when the stakes increase, like that's it's impossible to do.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's easy to get caught up in that side of it, Luke. What I've got invested and in what. You know what I have spent to be here just for you, just to support you. Now, what you spent the money for was to come in here and try to get your opportunity to win a million. Totally right. So uh, you didn't you didn't just come to support me. If if you want to spend three thousand dollars to support me, I'm available Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of next week, and I'll take three thousand dollars a day for you to come support me. Uh, you can just watch me drive to work and see how I do. So what here you for came for was the million dollars, um, but. Again, it's easy to get caught up in what you've spent to be there, especially, you know, I can only assume there were people in the pits that that really didn't have the financial means to spend what they spent. I don't I don't think that's a million dollar race thing, I think it's a racing thing. So those people tend to be on edge just even a little bit more and, you know, that's that's when they want things to go perfect and when they don't go perfect we need something to blame our failures on, and it has to be the promoter's fault. You know, you made a bad decision. You you made me run Saturday with no time trial, and I, I got beat. Well, you know what? We made everybody run Saturday with no time trial. So it was the exact same in the other lane. One lane didn't have you closer to Friday's number than the other. So, you know, you can't, it, when when you look at the totality of the event, if the decisions they make are as fair as they can be for every participant then you have to just say the guys did a really good job and that was their mission and I think they accomplished it I think that they pulled off what they what they deemed fair for everyone involved and in the end the the event was very successful and I again I know there's going to be people that that didn't like this or that about it but um, when it's all said and done, it was a very well-run and successful event.
0: I agree. 100% earlier, Jed, you mentioned the, the bubble guts, right? And the, the, the atmosphere of this event. And I would have to assume, um, the SFG 1.1 million a year and a half ago was similar, just, just strictly due to the stakes, right? The atmosphere of this event is unique. And if you'll remember, our listeners will remember when this race was over a year ago, I sort of railed against it to some extent, not the event itself, but just like the magnitude of the money. And my point was that it just feels like outside of, you know, last year, Jeff Sarah, the winner, I don't I didn't feel like anyone left Memphis happy because even the runner up, like Todd Senseny, yes, he he went home with, I don't know, like a quarter million dollars or something in that neighborhood, but he lost one round by a thousandth of a second that cost him a hundred grand. Like got to be somewhat difficult to sleep at night. Right. And there's so many instances of that, that there's just so much money on the table. Like I felt like it was difficult to, to really enjoy yourself. I don't know, Jed, obviously that is a very subjective feeling opinion. I didn't get that vibe at all this season. Like, was that just me? Like, and I could give some potential reasons for it, but it didn't seem like I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say that the money wasn't that big a deal, but it didn't seem to have a negative impact to me.
1: Yeah, you know, Luke. All I can really speak from is is my conversations with people and uh, my own personal experience. For me, it was huge. It was it, it felt amazing, electric, just the whole vibe around it. But uh, to to I guess back up your feeling when I were, when I was talking to people, I, it it just seemed like another race for the first maybe three rounds.
0: Yeah. It's almost, I don't want to say we're getting numb to it, but I feel like maybe we're getting a little bit more used to it. Maybe a year has changed that dynamic just a little bit. Could be,
1: but the early part of the race just seemed like a normal race. And then, but I will tell you, I mean, it was, it was amazing those last three, four, or five rounds. Uh, you know, it was there was a lot of attention on it. Um, I was fortunate enough; it actually worked out well for me and everyone involved. And I don't mean this braggadocious, but obviously, Jake Hodge is their feature guy when it comes to the interviews and doing the work outside with the camera. and And they wanted viewers to get a very close look at how. Things were breaking down in those late rounds, and even from a number, he was a busy
0: man in those late rounds.
1: Yeah, he was, and even from a number standpoint, that uh, Britt, uh, he wanted. He said, "Get up in there." He said, "I want you up in there. I want them to hear the numbers. I want people to know what's going on." So, you know, we've lived for a long time where you know that isn't our business to share those numbers, but this was live. It was happening right in front of everyone viewing. So, anyway, I, I go back to Jake was very busy. He semi-finaled which was a a huge financial impact for him. And he was, you know, needing to stay focused on his racing. And it just so happened. Those guys brought me in a few weeks earlier uh, to be part of the team. And it worked out well, where I could still carry on what he has done for, for them at the, or what he did for them at the previous million and, and hopefully make that as seamless as possible. So that also gave me the opportunity because I had a mic in my hand and a camera behind me. That gave me the opportunity to get right up in the middle of it. Like, you know, like I was part of it or something. So it gave me a very close and unique view to it all. And it was, um, it was incredible when the, when the money discussions were starting that you had, you know, there were 19 guys there and there were probably six, maybe seven, maybe eight, even, that said, y'all just tell me what you did. (laughs) They didn't even want an opinion. They didn't even want their opinion heard. They they... were so happy to be there. Yeah. That they just said, tell me what we're doing. Of course, Galen said, guys, that's not how this is going to work. I mean, I'm going to.
0: Well, I think for a lot of us, that's some that's some galaxy brain stuff, right? Like when Galen or Britt pipes in and says, all right, you guys got 1.15 million to split. What? You know, (laughs) I I mean, how do you even say that, Jed? Like, do you say a million, 150,000? Do you say 1.15? Like, I I don't even know how to say the damn number.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't remember them even saying this is what we have, uh, much like what we've learned. And and now I will take some credit for that because I think I was the first to do it on on a large race scale. And I'm not, again, not bragging, but I thought it was a great idea. And it looks like it's working to take a number, take some numbers out there to them not say hey guys this is what you should do so are you guys going to talk right here oh you are okay well here's a few options that we laid out to make this relatively easy for you to just say i like it and move on instead of everybody trying to figure out well if i if i do this now or if i do that next round you know we don't that slows things down there was one or two guys that tried to blow it up a little bit but um that that ended up not happening it was a it was a general consensus about what they wanted to do and it worked out really good in the end and obviously it worked out great for tyler bohannon
0: so you got to be privy to that discussion and that atmosphere in the staging lanes i stayed oh, yeah. i stayed far away so i was i was at the opposite end of the spectrum where my wife and i were parked was at the turnoff and we just happened to stay down there. Like maybe the round prior to the split. And I had, I got so much pure joy in watching the reactions of the winners as they turned off the racetrack that I had to stay there the rest of the day. I watched through the final, you know, at the first turnoff a quarter mile from the finish line, just to hear the screams and see the excitement of the racers. And maybe that's where my perspective has changed on this. Like, I didn't see a whole lot of disappointment coming by me. You know, I saw racers that obviously like, ah, you know, I I lost, but quickly, uh, seemingly, um, consoled by the fact that I just made a lot of money, like probably in most cases, more money than I've ever made in a race car. And then seeing the flip side of it, the excitement for the racers that were continuing to turn wind lights on was palpable. Like it was pretty cool to watch.
1: It was cool. I'm sure Luke, uh, that's a, that's an area that you get real raw emotion where the area on the racetrack that you're talking about. So the raw emotion is the best kind, whether you're, you're pissed off or you're excited or whatever you are, but, uh, I, I would have enjoyed seeing that as well. As uh, you hear my, my dog, Chloe barking at me and want me to hold her. So, uh, viewers, I apologize, our listeners, I apologize if you're hearing my dog, but anyway, um, I, I, Being up in the middle of it, I saw some people that probably reacted odd to me. And when I say that, I mean, you know, they were, there was whatever there was, Luke, I don't know, one point, whatever million. And there were people like discussing 2000 here and 3000 there. And I don't know. I just found it odd that guys I mean, what you're racing for is so incredible and you're dissecting this thing at a level, I mean, you're way down in the weeds. I would think a 30,000 foot view here's the best approach and clear yourself, make sure you're good, pick an option and move on. So it was really interesting to see how all that played out. But in the end, it was, there was way more left in the final than i thought was going yeah. to get left and it stayed that way it was unbelievable
0: i was uh i was pretty blown away seeing afterwards like the discrepancy between the semi and the runner up like that round at three that's the biggest round that anyone's ever going to stage for. right <laughs> like, yes. i mean it still got cut up don't get me wrong the semi has got a lot of money but uh it's like a two hundred thousand dollar round
1: it was three times uh, to runner up, it was three times what it paid to semi. Right, and and when you looked at how they broke it down, you know it were ten thousand dollar gains, a twenty thousand dollar gain from one round to the next, and then a thirty thousand dollar gain, and then you're talking about, you know, yearly income type money to semi, and then it went three times that to get <laughs> beat in the final. I just thought, wow, that's that is some aggressive numbers to leave in the end. And I really thought they were going to talk, but obviously champ had to buy run at three. There was no point in him having that discussion because sure. uh, he, he was setting himself up nicely. So it was interesting to see how it played out. And, uh, you know, I, I think I got a, a really, I got a really good view of it. That was, uh, that was enjoyable for me to watch. Uh, I mean, it was,
0: you, you mentioned it earlier, Jed, I, I thought it was, Interesting. And I think many people probably found it refreshing the emphasis that your team and that Britton Galen ultimately put on transparency. It was as if we wanted to not necessarily focus as much on the million dollar winners purse, but make sure that people on the outside realized that the runner up, the semifinalists, the late finishers were all earning life-changing money. And the transparency as to precisely what that amount of money was.
1: I'm struggling here with my mute button. I thought I was pushing it Luke, but I'm not, it's just happening. So I'll keep an eye on it. But nonetheless, um, it was, uh, it was, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to describe it really. It was, uh, it was unbelievable to me, uh, what, what they were working with and, when I think about what we're doing, you know, you, you were racing just as hard as you race for, for a thousand dollars at home or 1500 or whatever for, and we all know how difficult this is. So it was, it was amazing to me how they, they just left. Obviously you said life changing money and it was life changing money in a couple of rounds prior to that, but it was really life changing in the final loop and for those guys to leave that, to me just showed an amazing amount of confidence in what they were doing on the racetrack, uh, and, and belief that they were going to move forward and get it done. Of course, everybody did late, late, late in the race. But when you talk about what they left in the final, um, and, and I, I got asked a few times, you know, what, what would you do if you, what would you buy if you won this? And I said, my house, well, I would have been able to do that with ease and still had life-changing money in the bank I mean maybe enough to go and just help me retire so uh it was it was awesome to watch I had a again I had a unique view a great view of it and I enjoyed it thoroughly but being so there it went again being so close to it I felt like I'd been kicked into manscaped parts because uh (laughs) <laughs> uh there was there was a lot of money out there and i was calling the laps and i knew that i had raced i had raced good enough to to be at that point in the race but it just didn't work out for me so i i might have been too close close enough to did it it hurt my feelings too
0: <laughs> all right so takeaway number one is just the sheer magnitude of the money takeaway number two and this is no news to anyone who was at Capital City Raceway over the weekend, but specific to the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, Jed, it was cold.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was.
0: Um, I don't think that necessarily came through on the live feed, like exactly how cold it was, but particularly Saturday night and then especially Sunday night, well, I guess they were, they were pretty equal. Like When the sun was out, it was bearable. I think the highs were in the high 50s, it got cold quick. And I mean, like we staged for rounds, I think at 40 degrees, perhaps even under on multiple occasions.
1: Yeah. Luke, it was very cold, uh, for, you know, race. We typically don't race in that type of environment, especially on that kind of stage. So it was, uh, it was unique that, but the problem was, old glory. I mean, if anybody was able to see old glory on the live feed, when she's sticking straight out, doesn't matter what direction. Um, and, and it's, you know, late fall or fall anyway, it, it's freaking cold. And in Alabama, uh, it seems more worser because, uh, we're not used to that down in here. So, um, but, you know, I think, one way that we could tell how cold it was if anybody was watching big red and of course I wasn't around very long in it but peter biondo wheeled it and he was uh making some late rounds he said man you know nova's really snorting out there so i don't, <laughs> I don't know if you, if you if if you want to translate that basically it's uh, my exhaust pipes were were hitting the exhaust was hitting the humidity and the cool air, and it was uh, blowing a lot of smoke around. But uh, when uh, when Big Red snorting, you know it's cold.
0: Well, just as a here's a here's an indicator as well. So when we first got there, I guess it would have been Wednesday. It wasn't warm. You know, it was seventy degrees, maybe. It was good conditions. My Corvette, my first round off the trailer, I believe I went four ninety three. In the final round Sunday night, I was going four eighty two. It was 38 degrees. Like I, I, I don't think that I've ever raced in conditions that cold, like ever, much less at a race of that magnitude. And Jed, my understanding of kind of the, the generally assumed rule is like, we don't race when it's under 50 degrees. Well, (laughs) that was the, the, what we had implemented last weekend. I don't think we would have ever completed second round of any race, much less a complete race much less every race on the flyer and that's what they did so i just testament not just to brick and galen into their staff but to the racetrack to the crew there at capital city motorsports park to brandon mass and mass traction like they had that place it wasn't just like okay it wasn't just you know borderline safe that was a great racetrack and it was 40 freaking degrees
1: very well said, Luke. That's a great point. And, and certainly uh, mass traction and the staff at Capital City Motorsports Park deserves some recognition for that because uh, I have raced there before in cool temps, as have you. And, um, it, it, and that hasn't been the case. It hasn't. Uh,
0: been... now the problem with Montgomery or the problem with Capital City Motorsports Park is, I guess you'd call it like the water table. It gets very dewy. Yeah, the dew point. There, there's fog that rolls in. And when it gets cold, inevitably, it gets dewy and wet. And well, I'll just say this. When we got done racing Sunday night, it was midnight-ish. By the time that we got everything loaded up, my father-in-law and I, we were sopping wet like we had been out in the rain just from rolling around on the ground. Like, that's yeah. how dewy it is. And and when you combine that with the cold, like, how on earth do you go down a racetrack? And yet, we kept going down the racetrack.
1: Yeah, like I said, mass traction, the folks at Capital City Motorsports Park, Luke, as being behind the scenes, you know, I was hearing those guys talk about it a good 10, 20, 30 minutes prior to a round ending late there when it got dark and cool and, and they were saying, guys, we're going to hold it up for 10 or 15 minutes, and we're going to do this and going to do that. And the pessimistic side of me was like, oh, man, just 15 minutes without cars going down the track, and this is going to be devastating. Yet they did treatment based on their experience and their ability. And by George, I mean just as soon as everybody would come back out for the next round, you know, there was a car or two that had trouble. That's going to happen in cool air. But for the most part, uh, the track was very negotiable, and it was it was uh, fair. It led it lended itself to the best racing that it could possibly have in those conditions i was very impressed and um very impressed it was with
0: legit lighting the track on fire jed
1: they were setting track on fire
0: I, i've no. never seen the track set a fire in fact the first time that i witnessed it i was standing behind the starting line with another racer and i said are they doing that on purpose like it just looked like they lit the track on fire like oh no you know and then yeah. i realized as brandon mass would go down the track on the four-wheeler the fire would follow him. I'm like, yes. I think he means to do that. Like, I think he's doing that on purpose. That's it pretty cool. On purpose.
1: It was a yeah. chaser fire and it was really neat what they were doing. I've never seen it, but man, it worked. I mean, those guys, every move they made was really not just some cookie cutter move. It was intentional for the conditions that they were being dealt. And it worked very, very well. I was very impressed with Brandon mass and mass traction.
0: And I was very impressed
1: with your Charlie Stewart C7 Corvette, Luke.
0: That's as much as I hate to say this, this is takeaway number three because, okay, it's cold and it's wet and let's line up a dozen random cars in the pits and you pick them like this is the car I want to go down the track in or this is the car. If you did that to anybody there and put my corvette in the mix i don't think it's a top draft pick i think it's the last pick i'm going 480s in a buggy <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't it be the just, last
1: pick because it's cool
0: it just kept going 482 Britt would ask me every other round hey how's the track feel Britt?" i'm going 480s in a buggy and this thing ain't moved 2000 it's fine I, it, it just absolutely blew me away like when it got cold, I don't feel like anything got down the track better than my roadster. And granted, like that surprised me less than others. I wouldn't have taken it if I didn't think that it could go down, you know, a a less than perfect racetrack. It has shown me that all year. So it surprised me less than probably surprised everyone else. But when it's 38 degrees and nothing's been on the track in 10 minutes and it just rolled right down through there, right down Broadway, I got to admit it surprised me a little bit. <laughs> like, I was impressed.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, how could you not be impressed? Uh, again, we saw a challenge or two, and that's going to happen on a cold racetrack. But you can tell by and large when cars are going down it that it's in good shape. That doesn't mean I would take a 480 topless Corvette and, and try to go down through there. Uh, but, Luke, your car was ultra smooth, and it's a testament to to what Charlie does and what you do. But you told me very early in the weekend, and you knew it was going to get cold, and you said, this thing hadn't scared me yet, and I'm t- until it does, I'm going to just ride it. And you stuck to that, and it stuck to what it has done for you this season. And I know this wasn't a takeaway that we were planning to discuss, but a car that wins the Super Gas World Championship should never, ever, <laughs> be able to come to montgomery alabama in 40 degree temperatures and win a big time 400 entry bracket race now obviously that it's also a testament to you and the way you drive it and the way you set it up Um, that car you should put that car the setup on display and set them up like that for others and just sell it just sell the setup
0: i can't I mean, take people- much credit for that like i'll be honest charlie's like put this bar here this bar here put a couple of degrees of pinion angle in it and you'll be close and i hadn't really touched it Like, it's what he does is amazing man like that car is it's something else it's been like that since day one it's been good on the stop it's been good wide open i obviously should bracket race it more <laughs> um i i mean i i think I think it's hard to argue it was the best car there on Sunday night anyway. And, um, yeah, it it made me look really good. So, yeah.
1: Charlie needs to be talking to others because, in in your words, in the famous words of Luke Bogacki, a lot of those cars look like they run over a dog when they leave. (laughs) And yours was like, uh uh-oh, it's broke. It's not running this time. Well, it is, too. It just just left just nice and easy, and there it goes. Another 480 pass, so. It was incredible to watch, and uh, and you drove the wheels off of it, drove it extremely well.
0: While a 480 Corvette Roadster seemed to get down the track just fine, it was like a 680 car that really struggled, took out every timing block on the track, Jed. Oh, something happened? Somebody hit some cones or something?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Luke. Luke, uh, (laughs) Wow. What a... I mean, what a crazy thing to happen on the biggest stage in bracket racing, but, um, do you you want to set
0: the stage? Do you want to set this up or do you want me to to roll through it? I I, I didn't see it in person. I don't know if you did.
1: Uh, I saw it, but I didn't know what I was seeing. I was standing about three quarter track (laughs) with Jamie Tupper and his wife and they're, they're Canadian and they're super nice people. And we're just chatting about how happy they are to be here. And then, you know, uh, that, that happened, but basically what happened was Kyle Rumley Pre-staged to the wrong dial in. He was dialed six sixty three, and they had him in at a six thirty three. Well, he pre-staged, and when he pre-staged, his opponent had not gotten to the line yet. So Kyle wanted to to get the starter's attention and maybe even the other racer and let him know, hold on, they got me, they got me dialed wrong. Again, pre-staged. When Kyle's mind he was, uh, you know, he was going to be able to hold things up because he was only. Pre staged, and he felt like I'll be able to hold this up and get my dial in right. Well, unfortunately for Kyle, the rules are for this event and many others when you pre stage to the wrong dial in, you own it. It is your dial in, and you must continue staging and just race the dial in that you have that you've pre staged to. So while Kyle's trying to get the starter's attention and everybody's attention, he uh, his opponent pulls up and basically just stages, there was nothing malicious from his opponent. I know the gentleman, he is super cool. He had no idea Kyle's dialing was wrong. He had no idea. Kyle was wanting him to hold up too. Sure. So he staged and Kyle was like, hold on just a minute. You know, I'm, and he finally gets the starter's attention. Well, during all that, the tree falls. And the starter kind of stepped up there and, and held everybody up, like, hold on, we, we got a problem here. And then basically the Mustang just eases down the track because his tree fell and he, he don't know that he's supposed to stop. Then they tell Kyle, you pre-stage the dial, and you're out. And that's when things got interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um I, again i'm three quarter down track but i can tell that's kyle rumley he's got his back to me he's out of the car his opponent is already back to the pits and Kyle's standing there waving his hands in the air
0: he doesn't look happy but he that's did not appear
1: he did not appear to be celebrating his loss <laughs> uh so he tells them they tell him man you got you got to get off the racetrack he said i ain't leaving until frank comes down here and talks to me about this Frank Kahootek, obviously, you know, that is race, the director. race director. Mm-hmm. So Frank comes down and, you know, we all know Frank, uh, Frank doesn't mince many words and he, he's not Frank's probably not in the best of moods at this time either. And he just tells Kyle, that's the rule you're out. It's as simple as that. Now I understand. I mean, understand that Frank is the race director and Britt and Kyle, I mean, Britt and Kyle, Britt and Galen are, are the money people. So I still think there's an opportunity for Kyle to come around, have a discussion with those guys, and maybe we get to a better solution. Unfortunately, Kyle did not take that into consideration. Look,
0: uh, When he finally
1: decided to, uh, to go off of the racetrack, he somehow got himself in the middle of the track and run over every orange block that he could get his car to. And, you know, like I said, He's I'm a little disappointed
0: he missed the 60 foot.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm down track. And honestly, as it's happening, I'm like, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, I've, I've heard of this before. And as you know, and, uh, I'm thinking as I don't know what they told him, and I don't even know if he's got another entry or anything else, but he's done. He, he won't be racing at Montgomery anymore this week. And he ran over all the cones and got back to his pit. And I think I've had some discussion with Kyle this week through text and he regrets what he did. He, sure. he, he wishes he had not acted the way he acted. However, given all the circumstances and everything that happened, Luke, his anger is justified. I think Kyle should have been able to stage and race the dial in that he staged to. And I think it would have worked out well for him because his opponent was having a lot of trouble getting down the racetrack, uh, not getting down it, having trouble with his car, making a good enough run to stay lit the entire track. So, I think Kyle, uh, had an opportunity to, to come around and get some kind of better resolution. I'm not sure he would have got to stage and race, but I believe that might've been the right thing to do. I not might've, I think it was the right thing to do would have been let them stage and race because the starter did step up and like, hold on, wait a minute, hold things up kind of as the tree was falling in the. The other car basically getting to go down the track. So I know you're I, I
0: you're I'm saying sorry. that a, an appropriate solution would have been a rerun, but on the incorrect island.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes, I think uh, I think Kyle I hadn't thought of that. Kyle pre-staged to the dial-in by rule. He accepted it.
0: Now, so. did did he not get the opportunity to stage, or did he just elect not to stage? Um yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, fair. he was not I, staging. I, I hadn't thought about it from this perspective, so I just want to work through it.
1: Yeah. He was not staging basically because he didn't know the rule was once you pre-stage, you bought it. Honestly, I'm not a hundred percent sure the starter knew that. The starter got wind of what was going on that he had the wrong dial in, and I believe was intending to hold things up, but it was too late the race had already taken place.
0: It's a sticky situation because on the one side, like you could very easily argue that Kyle Rumley had, has no recourse here. Like it was clearly stated on the flyer that once you pre stage you accept the dial-ins. It is what it is, right? Like it's a, it's a crummy way to lose, especially given the stakes, but that was a clearly stated rule. Now where it gets sticky to your point is the starters response makes this questionable but i think you could interpret that one of two ways right and it's really like what came first the chicken or the egg because watching the 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 replay of it the starter doesn't get involved until kyle's pre-staged his opponent's fully staged and kyle is obviously trying to get the starter's attention right i think he's even beeping the horn waving his arms etc right because he knows his dialing's wrong and so the starter reacts to that well is the starter stopping the race because he realizes that the dial-in's wrong, or is the starter simply reacting to Kyle's panic? Like that could be something's on the racetrack in front of him, right? And the the obvious reaction is whoa, 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 hold him up. Whereas if he realized that it's a dial-in issue, knows the rule, like he's not going to get involved at all. Like I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know what was going through their their sure. individual minds. In the end, it sucks. Like it's an awful way to lose second round of the million dollar race. But to your point, I would have to agree, Jed, like if he, and, and well, let me, let me touch to a little bit. You, you mentioned the, the Frank Kutek aspect of this, like people have said, and will say like, maybe Frank's not the guy for that conversation because as you and I know, like Frank can be a pretty abrasive dude. I think he is the perfect guy for the race director role because like, you have to be willing to be a dick you know what I mean? Like you, you, you have to at some point dig in, dig in your, your heels. Now, maybe this wasn't the time to do that, but that's what you can expect out of Frank. Like that's what you're paying him for. Right. so Frank goes and makes a decision. And I'm sure just knowing Frank's personality that it wasn't sugarcoated at all. Right. And I'm sure that that was the catalyst or at least part of the catalyst for Cal's response and, and action. Now to your point earlier, like, it's a shame because had he been able to, you know, accept this or whatever and go down the track and then come back and have a, a conversation, I don't know what comes of it. But I would, I would be willing to bet that, like worst case scenario for Kyle Rumley, it's like, hey man, you lost. That sucks. Here's your entry feedback. You know what I mean? Like maybe there's a rerun. I don't know. I, I think I'm confident that there's something done. But obviously, once you take out every phone block on the racetrack, the chances of reconciliation there are pretty well out the window.
1: Yeah. And his car was still left with another driver. I heard that yeah. in the 80K. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, that <laughs> wasn't going to happen either. So his driver had to find a new ride, not, you know, second round of the 80K or third round of it. So
0: That's it, a was
1: a, it was a <laughs> That's tough bad spot. Beat. That,
0: Can can we get, is it Taylor Bowling? Does Taylor Bowling get this week's bad beat? Maybe
1: maybe Taylor does get this week's bad beat, (laughs) but all in all, it was, um, it was a, a, it was a reaction that Kyle wishes he hadn't done. Um, and, and it was out of no disrespect to, to Galen or Britt or anybody. It was just a raw reaction to a very painful situation and, if he could take it back, he would. But, you know, yeah, I don't I've
0: heard that. Like, just on the disrespect card, like, I've heard a few people say or, or write that it was blatantly disrespectful to the fellow competitors, like the pair behind him in the water. And, like, okay, right? Like, I, I'm not here to justify Kyle Remley's actions. Like, I feel like, by and large, the sentiment in the staging lanes behind him was just, A, like, that sucks, but B, kind of laughter. You know what I mean? Like, okay, right? Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not here to justify his actions, but like, it's not like he ran over the tree. It's not like he hopped over the wall and kicked the the stage beams. Like he ran over the foam blocks that are just a reflector. Like, they just had to put down new foam blocks. We were back up and running within ten minutes or less. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. It's not like he altered the competitive nature of the remainder of the race. You know what I mean? Like you said, I, d- yeah. I don't think his actions are defensible, and I'm sure on some level he regrets it, but whatever, right?
1: Yeah, and Luke, it's interesting to me how much of the, the social media stuff I've seen about how disrespectful it was to his opponents. Yet, um, when he did that, everybody knew to shut the engine off and, and just sit and wait till they were done. But had that been a 10-minute staging battle? there'd be two, he- two people being made heroes right now and yeah, you got true. people behind you sitting idling in the water box and they don't know when you're going to stage or if you're freaking going to stage so don't give me the whole disrespectful to your competitors thing i mean that is that I is had, what, uh, that's all subjective
0: awesome. oh very much i had just uh gotten to the staging lanes for for that round of top bulb and so i was i was the tower was blocking my view from what had happened and i, I had gotten out of my car and was walking that direction. And I saw the reaction of everyone standing. And I'm like, what's going on here. Right. So I walk up, this is the best part of this whole thing for me. I walk up beside Adam Davis, our mutual friend, and he's explaining to me what happened. Right. And we're kind of, you know, chuckling about it. Like that's, that's unique, right. That's an interesting way to start the day. Right. Cause this was first thing, Saturday morning, second round of the million. And, uh, Dan Fletcher is, the next pair, or a couple of pairs behind the ready line, they're near where Adam and I are standing. And as he gets out of his car, Adam says, "Fletch, how long you been doing this?" <laughs> Fletch just looks at him and goes, "Not long enough to see that bleep." <laughs> <laughs> That's a first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm sure that was a first for for Dan, <laughs> but
0: it wasn't a first for Luke Bogacki. No, I I only know of this happening twice in 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 like recorded history, the history of racing. And <laughs> maybe perhaps it's happened more often. I I know of it happening twice, and I actually happened to be on hand for both of them. So <laughs> yes, I believe it or are. not, I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have. Uh, uh, good stuff. So, All right. So while we're on the drama topic, because uh, that that definitely had social media buzzing the other thing that really got social media buzzing was we had nick hastings do his best corey galetti impression it was the wreck and go number two <laughs> now thankfully this wasn't near as uh as bad of an accident as corey Galetti's was at the uh, the og million at the same facility uh what four years prior? three years prior three years prior i think um but Final round of the no box portion of the 80 grander. Is that correct? Um I think okay. it was the 80. Yeah. It's Nick Hastings. Nasty Nick. I can't remember what race it was. In. Yeah, they they blended together pretty good on Sunday. So that's that's fair. It's nasty Nick opposite Dan Fletcher, final round. And um Nick gets on the brakes a little bit too hard in the t 1000 gets pretty crossed up. Uh actually just I want to say grazes, but like you watch the replay, you hit the wall pretty hard. But with the very back corner of the passenger side quarter panel of the T-1000, like seeing the damage after the fact was didn't look like a big deal at all. In real time, it looked bad, um, but that was the only damage done. Nick's wind light's on. So here's the question, because I hear a lot of people praising Nick for the driving job that he did to, to not just completely destroy the T-1000. And like watching on a live feed is pretty wild, right? So my yes. question for you, Big Jed, did Nick do a good job? Uh, well, of what? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> exactly. Uh, That's my he, point. He, exactly.
1: <laughs> he did. He did a very good job of saving the car and not having a very serious accident and involving another yeah. vehicle. Sure. By the way, Dan Fletcher should get credit for. Cause once you cross finish line, typically, you know, you're, you're just, you don't even, you're not even thinking about those type things, but Dan saw it all and, and avoided the accident by his driving skills as mm-hmm. well.
0: Took evasive but, action.
1: But knowing what happened in that car. Yeah. Nick did a good job of keeping it from being a worse wreck than it was, but he did a bad job by wrecking the vehicle. <laughs> first place Well, i know know that's just who i am to give that kind of answer but yeah he did did a good job after he did a bad job
0: i I feel like you could break this into three parts because the run prior to the finish line was amazing like fletch was you probably you you may have been calling it you may know the numbers i think fletch was 13 total on a pretty significant drop yeah and Nick gets under it, sets down beside. I'm assuming set up behind him, sets down with him. Gets their first fourth out to be dead on zero, I believe. Um, yeah, I
1: think he was nine total. Yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, but obviously in the process uh, upsets the little T1000. And again, it was cold. Uh, I thought the track was excellent, but the track conditions may have played a role in it. Certainly, so I think you break this into three parts. Prior to the finish line, Nick Hastings' amazing job. Post. Locking up the brakes to not destroy the T1000, Nick Hastings, amazing job! But I don't know how much credit you can get for getting yourself out of your own pile of doo doo because Nick created that situation for himself, right? So, yeah, yeah like this, uh, this hey, unbelievable job, and Nick Hastings, like, yeah, but like to get out of a situation that you created that you probably shouldn't have created. Yeah. Not such a great job. So yeah, I think there's three different parts to that. Two of which were good. One of which not so good.
1: Yeah. Luke. And, and just to help people understand, and I think everybody has watched it and figured this out, but I was standing at the light where you, you get the green light to pull out and go into the water box. So I'm, I'm way back. Obviously, I'm watching the run because it's two legendary figures out there getting after it, one of the younger, one of the older.
0: And it was like and that the sixth time they'd raced that weekend.
1: Yes. Uh, <laughs> which another thing I loved is that they just kept coming after one
0: another. You know, I when, did. I really like there was no back down in either of them. It no. was not like, hey, I'm gonna go over to the other lanes so that I don't have to keep running Nick Hastings or no. Dan Fletcher. It was like, now get on up here. Let's do this again.
1: Neither switched lanes and they they knew what was coming when they come around the corner. So Incredible run where both of them made an unbelievable lap, especially swapping feet. And then when Nick got sideways and went over and hit the wall, as you said, the damage to the car doesn't look anything near like what I thought it was going to look like. I thought the side was knocked off of it. And then when he hit the wall, I'm thinking he has just hit the wall hard as hell. And then the thing goes wide open. And it's coming back across the track. Well, when that happens immediately, I think he's knocked out and he's on the rug. And this is going to be horrible. It's going to end the race. Yet he was doing all that. He, you know, when I got back to his pit after he, he just drove it right off the racetrack. Once everything settled down, drove back to his pit. I went straight to his pit and I'm like, well, you just scared the piss out of me. And he said, "Yeah, man, I know." He said, "I he said this thing will get a little. Sometimes when you drop hard, it'll get a little, it'll wiggle a little bit." But he said that that time it just got away from me. And he said, "Just as soon as it hit the wall and and came off the wall and got on two wheels, I had to gas it to try to keep it." He said, "That's really the only way you can save one of those deals when you when you're on two wheels is gas it." I'm like, "Holy crap!" I mean, all the stuff he thought about in that moment. Well, hell, I would have been, I would have just hit the wall and rolled it right over and skidded down track or whatever I was going to do. I wouldn't have thought all that.
0: Sure. Well, no, I, I do think credit where credit is due. The, um, and, and you kind of mentioned like, particularly if that's bad, that that has the potential to end the day and the event, right? I think just what happened had the potential to end the event. And the way that I understood the story, Nick saved the race. Not necessarily by, by saving the car, although obviously that played a role in it. But my understanding is that as soon as he got out of the car, as soon as the track officials got to him, his first statement was, there's nothing wrong with the track. I screwed up. Because I think at that point, it's really easy. It's what fifth round, it's 40 something degrees. Like it's really easy to pull the plug and split the money. And Nick was like, no, 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 the track's good. Like I just messed up. And I think that is a large part of the reason that we were able to finish
1: yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, had had a guy with that kind of experience and that kind of resume told you this track's dangerous, they probably would have stopped it right then and been done. So, very, very good point. In that All right. So now, what for the he hot said button. had a big, big impact.
0: I, I agree. Now, for the hot button social media topic of the week.
1: Yeah, I can't wait for this.
0: Did Nick's actions warrant disqualification from the event?
1: Um I'm going to have to say no, Luke. Okay. Um I I mean by rule it was after the finish line. It was excessive breaking for sure, but you know there wasn't uh there wasn't and and he had been dropping that way all week. Um obviously cooler temperatures led to that. It was it was him over-dropping for the conditions probably didn't drop any different than he had been, but for the conditions probably was too aggressive. Uh, but there was no warning ahead of time. There wasn't, Hey, uh, you know, Nick, you got to stop this. Uh, if, you know, if you do it again or this thing gets away from you, you're done. You know, had that conversation taken place, I'd feel differently, but based on all the, the circumstances about him and what, his driving style was for the week um i'd have to say no um i I don't know exactly what the rule says but this happened to us at bristol one time and i believe that the rule book was brought out and they said it's the after the finish line it's the race director's
0: discretion totally that's and that's the problem if you will with the rule is that it's completely subjective. Right. And that's what I've always said about excessive breaking rules in general. Now, just to be clear there per the NHRA rulebook, cause I pulled this up just to make sure that I didn't misquote anything. There is no disqualification in place for crossing a boundary or hitting the wall on the racing surface beyond the finish line. Okay. Cross the center line, hit the wall prior to the finish line. It's automatic disqualification. That's not the case past the finish line. Now, however, there is a rule in place for excessive braking, but again, it's extremely subjective. So as it reads, is this quote from the NHRA rulebook, anytime has been judged that excessive braking has resulted in the loss of control that results in contact with the guardrail and or light fixtures or crossing the center boundary lines, including past the finish line, the contestant will be disqualified. Okay. So if whoever's making this call subjectively determines that excessive breaking is the cause, then that is technically grounds for disqualification. I think we can all agree that excessive breaking is probably the cause here, but how do you, again, it's it's so subjective, like that's the problem with the quote unquote rule, right? So we've discussed this before and, and I'd have and I've basically said repeatedly, like, look, you can't legislate excessive breaking out of the sport, right? Like, as long as there is a penalty to go too fast, racers are going to try to slow down before the finish line, right? And you can't accurately judge what is safe and unsafe, right? Without a hard, fast rule, like, hey, you hit something, you're out, right? Yep. So I'll break this down like this, like, because I, I, I will admit that I have a little bit of mixed feelings about this. I was having a conversation the other day with a friend of mine and the, the, the point that we kind of came to mutually was big dollar bracket racing exists in its own independent subculture. I think when he was on with us, Troy Williams Jr. did a pretty good job of articulating that, right? Like it's a very unique group of individuals that We we just kind of beat to our own drum, right? That that not necessarily governed or not has not historically been governed by any greater body, right? And this situation, in a lot of ways, like Galetti's wreck and go, right? Um, to some extent, even like Hunter Patton's situation, it creates an interesting juxtaposition because in the moment, as a racer, okay. I have zero issue with Nick not being disqualified from the event. Like, I don't want to speak for Dan Fletcher, but I would imagine that he had zero issue with Nick not being disqualified from the event. At the same time, I don't think I would necessarily have a problem with him getting pitched, with him getting disqualified, right? Because it was excessive breaking that resulted in an accident, right? And I don't want to speak for Nick Hastings, but I would imagine that if they came to him and said, look, you can't do that. You're out. I don't think he's got much of an argument. Right. Yeah. I mean, as a racer, like I agree with that. Yeah. Either way. Right. Uh, And, and I don't like, if I'm in Fletcher's shoes, like I don't, I lost like that dude beat me. I don't, you don't put me back in. Right. Like that's, that's, that's not the way I want to win the race on the flip side. When I remove myself from the situation and take like a broader view, maybe, maybe to some extent, this is, this is, um, tainted by like my view as a parent and having a young racer, right? What I don't love, what I don't, what I don't like at all is the idea of glorifying the action, like glorifying the driving style. And I'm not condemning Nick. Like we've all done it. Like I've done it several times, right? It probably exactly what he did and just didn't have the same results. Right. Um, it's the same way that I felt in the aftermath of Galitti's situation. And I think that you can make the argument that by not issuing a penalty, we're indirectly glorifying the action. Like, I don't, and I don't want that style of action, that style of driving to be glorified, right? Like, cool. Again, not judging. I've done it. Um, and I still do it occasionally. You can't legislate it out, but- I do think we could do our part to set a positive example. So all of that said, like I've, I've, I've gone completely Jed here, right? Like I've been on both sides of the fence.
1: Yes. So, so what
0: should the result be? Like, I don't know. Like I'm going to continue to try to straddle the fence, but here's my, my I'll throw this out to you, Jed, and you poke holes in it. What if we disqualified Nick from that race, but not the event, like he's still in the other event, the car's fine. He's out of the 80 grander because he hit the wall due to excessive braking. He can still compete in the other race in retrospect, knowing that Nick goes on to the final of the 40 grander and not the 80 grander, that seems to work for everyone. But, um, again, I've got the value of of hindsight poke holes in my solution.
1: Well, it's, it's hard to poke holes in that Luke because the, you know, it's, I mean, it's not wrong. Your, your, your thoughts or your, your possibles are all possible. And I I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly that had they tossed Nick, Nick would have said, yeah, uh, you know, I don't like it, but I understand. And I ain't mad at nobody. He wouldn't run over their cones. (laughs) He uh he's uh he's a he's just a good dude and he's you know he's he
0: seems very reasonable, right? Yeah. He
1: is very reasonable. And I think he would have got it. Uh toss him from that race, but let him stay in any other race. Eh, I mean if like I say saying- it's
0: absolutely straddling the fence. It's probably what it does is piss off everybody on both sides. But it's it's my my happy medium there.
1: <laughs> yeah. To me that that's saying your actions were um, something that we can't live with, yet we will allow you to change your style in the next race or, right. or yeah. the other yeah. race that you're in. So I get that. I think all the subjectivity to any of these solutions uh, it, it will remain in our sport forever. Uh, I don't think you could set a rule book that would handle a situation like this, except for, you know, like somewhere you raced one time where they were trying, I think it was Pickwick, they were trying to keep you from killing a certain amount. You know, you, like you can't kill over 500 or something. No
0: sandbagging. Yeah, no, no, rules.
1: no sandbagging. No sandbagging.
0: So, so I this mean, this is also the same facility that I saw every timing block get destroyed yes okay
1: well in their defense they don't have timing blocks they had a couple of floodlights at the finish line they didn't
0: they got, have near as many as Kyle <laughs> ran over i'll, I'll say they that got,
1: they got crunched so <laughs> there was no there was no 330 clock because that would have been more than halfway down the racetrack <laughs> <We> <laughs> but really nonetheless too much
0: information too
1: <laughs> nonetheless to make a rule where you just couldn't do it at all yeah you know, what is excessive that's also subjective and totally uh, i mean if you're uh, so. going
0: to have a rule in place the and I've said this before and I've gotten blasted for it, but the only rule that I think could be enforced with any consistency is if you hit something, you're out. Well, if that's the rule, then Nick broke it. But again, that's not necessarily the rule. That's just my, the the quote unquote perfect, if you will, like the only rule that makes any sense that you could accurately police would be that.
1: Yeah. And again, I have seen people that didn't drop that hard that, that, you know, something broke on the car and True. got it in the wall. So who's the to only say
0: time that- I hit the fence was absolutely a result of excessive braking. And I will tell you to this day, it was 20 years ago. My opponent dropped way harder than I did. And if he hadn't, I wouldn't hit the brake so hard.
1: <laughs> well, the only time I hit the fence was at your event and it had nothing to do with brakes. Uh, I had my foot on the brake, but it was way too late. It had already broke and was sliding <laughs> locked up. So you know uh, that was of no fault of mine, but I was still out.
0: Let's move on to happier subjects. Is it did, did did we leave anything hanging? Anything unchecked on the on the Nick Hastings situation? Nah,
1: I think we straddled that fence really nicely. I did my best. Yeah, Learn, I'm, learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. Proud of you. All
0: right, so we're an hour in. Let's talk about the finalists. Happy times. The runner-up first, Stephen Champ McCrory. Uh, I think you said it like out of semi-retirement and absolutely shown out for the last, what, two months? 100 grander, semi-finalist at the OG Million, runner-up now at the Great American Guaranteed Million. And I think what's even more impressive than that, and again, I, I haven't been standing over the computer every time that champs gone down the track, but specific to the main event at the OG Million and then the main event at the Great American Guaranteed Million, the sheer quality of his runs is, was unreal. Like specific to Montgomery. I'm very confident in saying that he laid down less than five total, at least three times during the main event, less than 10, another time or two. At one point he ran an opponent that was perfect. Take six and didn't win. And that was just kind of par for the course, for the runs that champ was laying down. Like he was sick, 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 which was just like same, Book new chapter from South Georgia. He turned it red in the semis there, but was nasty, nasty, nasty throughout to get to that point. And like I say, just the sheer quality of runs. And it's one thing to lay down like 15 or less every run. Like that's really impressive, but to be like five to 10 or less to set up that tight and keep making those laps. I was, I was blown away, like back to back to back. One of the more impressive performances that I can remember
1: was very impressive um again you know the the numbers speak for themselves you know you can sit and talk about the the sub five packs the sub eight packs and everything else and that's incredible but champ's doing it when everybody at the racetrack knows that he's got four or five hundreds in the bag
0: that's the other place I was going to go. Like, I really appreciated the style because during the million, the day of the million, at least every time I saw Champ stage, he styled 461. And I assume he could go faster than 461, but I ain't paying close enough attention to know like how much faster. And there was around like late, maybe 10 cars left, 20 cars left where he had a, maybe a 550 door car. And Champ wheeled that thing down to 457. And I believe his opponent went red and he went, low 457 wide open and champ rolled back around for the next round and wheeled that dial back up to 461 was like yep right here like send out the bat signal boys i'm holding four get you something. yeah and i like it
1: you you have the you have the people watching that always feels like well i got i got an answer for that you hold four on me i i'll show you i'll show you how you beat that and probably most everybody he raced felt that same way right until his wind light came on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and champ was, was pitted by me. I say pitted, but you know, he's obviously driving the overkill car and they, they've always got prime parking, uh, as sponsors of events and those things. But he, his motor home was pitted out in the cornfield with me and, uh, his dog spent a lot of time crapping in my pits. So we got the opportunity <laughs> to chat quite a bit and, uh, shout out to Bandit by the way and um champ's just in a really good place in his life i mean he's i think champ's performance is a successful business venture for him you know he's in love he's not racing every week or much at all uh just enjoying life and taking vacations and those things and i'm you know he's always been a great driver he's been a great driver for well over a decade uh, so i'm not sure that that's helping him at all but it surely ain't helping i mean surely ain't hurting so you know I, he's he's just making awesome runs his equipment's good and champ made a few bucks for him and yes. okie dokie in the last uh six eight weeks
0: yes he has yes he has you bring up a good point too because i've always been an advocate for just when when things are going good in life it just makes it easier to perform in all aspects of life right like the winning begets winning like you take that on a little bit broader scale and when everything's clicking it's just easier for things to keep clicking and when something is not it can become really really difficult so yeah i i, I definitely think there's something to that so champ obviously turns it red in the final made unbelievable runs to that point the other guy that made unbelievable runs throughout the day obviously your winner we're an hour in before we mention his name, Tyler Bohannon, Tebow great American guaranteed million winner. And I'll just say like, it's not often that races play out this way, but again, I kind of got a front row seat to this cause I was done pretty early. Um, I don't think there was any doubt at the end of the day, the two guys that made the best runs throughout the event met in the final. Like they were very, very deserving finalists, Tyler Bohannon, Stephen McCrory.
1: Yeah. I don't disagree with that. Luke, uh, Tebow was really making solid runs. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily the kind of run that you feel like couldn't be beat. Like champ was right. making, like but it was, champ was making runs that like, well, you're not going to beat that. You're just never going to beat that. Right. But Tebow was making the kind of runs that if, uh, if you pulled up to the line and said, what are you looking for here? Right. That's the kind of runs we're all trying to make, you know, yep. is that it was that 10 to 15 pack.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it just, would look like. He was laying down in the final too. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Just really hard to beat. And, uh, and which, you know, again, speaks volumes for Tebow and what he was able to accomplish in the moment, because that was huge for him. Um, you know, he's in a, he's in a borrowed ride from JP Schuster. So, you know, obviously the financial impact is not as great as it appears with what the check says on it when you've borrowed someone's ride um so i I think those are just extra things you think about when you're at that point obviously champs driving for somebody as well so maybe it was equal but nonetheless i just i know that it was really to them once they got to that point winning the money is wonderful but it was about winning the event and when you when you look across and you see you got champ and you know your buddies with him, and you know what he's done for the last couple of months, and he's doing that again today, and you've got to go out there and beat it. That's just added pressure, Luke. You're racing for the million-dollar check and the belt and that amazing Moser and Weld trophy that they had and all of the attention and the limelight. You're racing for every bit of that, and don't tell me you're not thinking about it. And by God, Tebow went out there and got it done. Champ did turn it red and he actually bumped down instead of bumping up. uh, He meant to bump up and he bumped down, but he was still going to be red by a few thou, but nonetheless, uh, Tebow executed, as you said, was making a very good run in the final and was going to be a handful. I don't care who was in the other lane and, uh, just kudos to him. And another thing he did extremely well was articulate what he was thinking. And what he wanted to accomplish uh, throughout the interviews in the late. It's rounds. a great interview, yeah. Yeah, he articulated that extremely well, which when that's happening, you can just tell where somebody's at mentally. and he was strong. I mean, he was super strong mentally and was executing well and articulating his thoughts well. And I think, you know, the right guy ended up getting the getting the final win like it was just meant to be and and tebow deserved it and earned every bit of it
0: yeah 100 like kudos to tyler bohan and he i think fair to say like he uh he left after winning the million to that point uh he made more runs down that track than anyone he was runner up in a in a gambler's race like was going rounds in every event and basically seemingly without fail making that run that you talked about like repeatedly laying down 10 to 15 like runs that are absolutely what most of us are shooting for and really really difficult to beat driving the wheels off of that thing i did think it was it was actually like somewhat predictable if that's the case at at 20 cars my wife and i picked a horse right and we picked champ and tyler and it was as far as like names that we are familiar with right because at 20 cars there was 20 great racers the nature of this event there was 400 great racers there. Like you couldn't get in to the facility without spending over $3,000. That pretty much limits the field. Like nobody's there that sucks, right? Yeah, no doubt. But at 20, like the name recognition, the the favorites, if you will, it was Tyler, it was Champ, it was Will Holloman, it was Kevin Pollard. And beyond that, like you've got uh, whatever, 14, 15 other great racers, but not necessarily the names that we're used to seeing. Now, as it ended up, the four that I mentioned were four of the last five. But within that mix there, that last 20, we saw names that were not necessarily used to seeing on that stage. And I think that's really refreshing, really cool. The guys like that I know are unbelievable racers that have never had that opportunity, like your Travis Eaton's, your Jeff Bobos, Jake Hodge, Michael Holcomb. You know what I mean? Like I thought that that was really cool to see. And that at 20 cars, it wasn't the quote unquote usual suspects.
1: Yeah, that was cool to watch for me as well, and, and I'm, I'm fairly close to some of those names that you mentioned. I know Travis well. I know how big it was for Travis. Obviously, Jake and I have done a tremendous amount of work together. Uh, sometimes he's on my team. Sometimes we're on the same team, and, uh, you know, I he handled himself extremely well through all that, just the whole having fun mentality, and it worked out extremely well for him. The Holcomb is actually David Holcomb um and he's uh he's a friend from right up the road he just lives here in coleman which is about 45 minutes up the road from me uh that was very big for him uh that family has dominated around here this year locally uh they've got outside and, and done well at montgomery or Huntsville or surrounding tracks but to go down there in that atmosphere and perform like david did and, and come away with that kind of payday was uh, really fun to watch. And, um, you know, a little part of I me, mean, Luke was pulling for those guys. Yeah. yeah,
0: 100%, right.
1: They're no average Joes because they they race better, way better than the average Joes just because you didn't know them, didn't make them average Joes. But the, the non-household name that, that some of those guys represent, for them to have come out on top of that would have been, more than amazing. So, a little part of me was pulling for them, but uh, that don't mean I was pulling against anybody by any means.
0: Yeah, agree, agree on all uh, on all fronts. There, I did think it was fitting too, Jed, and this gets to my last uh, point or, or takeaway from the Great American Guaranteed Million. After all of the big money, the huge money, so to speak, was handed out. After all of the drama, the last big race of the 2021 season as it winds down to the last two cars down the racetrack, how fitting is it that the last two laps, the last lap is between Jeff Sarah and Nick Hastings?
1: Very fitting. Um <laughs> definitely um definitely, you know, I guess what you would think this season would come down to has yeah. or it might like it was supposed to, if you will. Um but Two guys that that had quite different weekends. Jeff Sarah, obviously, his driving has spoken for itself all season. Uh, actually, since the last million and and beyond that, because Jeff's driven well and won for a long time. But what he's accomplished in the last twelve months, thirteen months or so, has been nothing short of unbelievable. But he had a rough weekend. Jeff um, didn't drive as good as he normally does in some rounds. He drove good and got beat up on in some rounds. So for him to stick it out, instead of saying, you know what, I've had a great year, I don't even care anymore. Form well in that last race would have been kind of what you'd expect, but not Jeff, Sarah, he, he stuck with it, drove really good in that final race and, uh, and obviously come out the victor and then obviously Nick wrecking along the way. And having, you know, that looming over him, and I I didn't really get to watch Nick much after the accident, Luke, but I would assume it changed his style at the finish line. And for him to have to change his his approach just a little in the event, in the middle of it, uh, probably was a challenge, but with that kind of talent, you overcome simple challenges like that, and he did just that. So, uh, really, really cool ending for for Sarah and Hastings to battle it out for the final.
0: Uh, yeah, final no, round. I thought it was fitting. Like I said, for those two, the the last you know forty grander of the season, it it comes down to them. It almost didn't. Like it it was almost another fall fling situation for Jeff Sarah. He nearly ran the table and ran himself in the final again. Uh, and this was just incredible. Like this semifinal round was incredible all the way around. In the first pair, Jeff Sarah runs AJ Ash. AJ eight total, and loses. Yeah. Sarah's one total. Jeff comes back right back around to run Nick Hastings in the other semifinal. Nick gets the nod. They do the rematch in the final. Nick turns it red. Jeff Sarah wins the last forty grander. Like I, I can't overstate the impressive nature of Jeff Sarah's season. Like it's it's unbelievable. And to your point, Hastings. Ability like we're so numb to the fact that Nick Hastings routinely makes these final rounds and there's a little dash in front of his dial in on the scoreboard. Like, do you know what that means? Oh, because crosstalk's yeah. not on because yeah, he doesn't I mean, have yeah. a delay box yeah, in the bottom. Yeah. And we just become accustomed to that. Like it's just normalized that Nick Hastings drives through everybody with the delay box foot footbreaking, like unbelievable. Right. And then to have the composure to come back, like he literally runs the final, what, three hours removed from hitting the fence and had like seven runs in between there where he's back to being Nick Hastings unreal. Right. Um, say what you will about the, the, the round, the, the crash, the potential disqualification, like they're going to let you race after that. I think that's easier said than done. Right. I, I know yeah, it's an I eerie feeling to get back in the car after you wreck one. Right. Um, and I would imagine that that's on your mind the rest of the way and to be able to perform the way that we're used to seeing him perform after that, really impressive. And it's something that we hearken back to within this is bracket racing elite. And actually Jeff made me look really smart because we dedicated an episode of the the daily driver specifically to him. And what I've said impresses me most about him is not his insane, uh, concentration on the tree or his ability to see things that no one else can see at the finish line. What impresses me most is the resilience, right? Because we see the races that he wins, but just like anyone, like he is loading his car in the trailer after the windlight comes on in the other lane far more often than he's loading the tr- car in the trailer after the windlight light comes on in his. And exactly what you said earlier, like he kind of got beat up all weekend and to just continue to have the resilience to stage with the confidence that it takes to compete at that level and win at that level. Like in elite, we call it pro day. Like that's what the last day is. That's when the pros come out because half the field is thinking about getting home to work and putting stuff away between rounds. That's not what Jeff is thinking. That's not what Nick Hastings is thinking that that as an opportunity. And that showed through, did you catch any of Jeff Sarah's post-race interview? I did not. It was awkward. Like he didn't get out of the race car, Did the interview from in the car. And like the, the, you got a glimpse. I felt like, no, I didn't, I didn't see it. I, I couldn't see the, the look on his face, like I wasn't watching the live feed. I wasn't there in the winter circle. So I'm just hearing just the verbalize, but you got a glimpse into the intensity that makes Jeff, Sarah, Jeff, Sarah. Like, I think the question that Jake asked him was about that semifinal round with AJ. He's like, Hey, in the semis, your opponent was uh, eight total. And, um, you're one that zero taken seven. Like, is that all skill or is there a little bit of luck involved? And it was this silence for like, long enough that it became uncomfortable and then you just hear jeff sarah's deadpan i saw all of it (laughs) like and i like i say i couldn't see his face but i did not get the impression that it was tongue-in-cheek at all it was like yeah i meant to do that i took seven i I kicked his butt like what do you want and i was like whoa cool
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no surprise that that you know, whether he saw it or not, that he felt like he did, there's no, <laughs> no surprise at all. So, uh, I, I think, um, you know, obviously Jeff, uh, Jeff's had performed extremely well and, and had an, uh, um, an amazing beyond amazing once in a lifetime season. So probably as you mentioned earlier, uh, winning breeds winning. And, you know, I think that, You just feel like sometimes you see it, whether you did or not, and that's—he probably was not telling an untruth there. He probably really felt like he saw it, whether he did or not. I—I'm—I'm a
0: believer. I I don't think he felt like he saw it. I think he saw it.
1: I think he did too. I (laughs) mean, AJ's going five seventy, so it's not like he blew by him at you know an extra forty mile an hour or nothing. Right? Yeah, nothing like that. But I'm just
0: like—I know it's not every run, but every it literally—I watched him do it three times it's the only time that i saw jeff sarah compete against slower door cars on the weekend but i watched him run like a couple of 640 cars in aj and that's seven and, and he never changed that dial in like he's going plenty under and that's seventh thou against aj the most i saw him take
1: wow. really impressive it's unreal that is impressive wow
0: uh i see that that uh Mark added to the, uh, the, the agenda here, like the takeaways from the million. What about the converter change competition? I can't believe we didn't talk about it. I'll admit, Jen, at least from the outside, the converter change contest was a little bit of a letdown just because there weren't eight entrants. There weren't four entrants. There were only two people that agreed to do this. And I think the reasoning behind that is because it became pretty apparent that Johnny is always going to enter. And that no one else had a chance.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think most people knew that. Man, his that that hardtail car, his uh, Lord of Mercy Luke, it it looked like the the transmission looked like you could stand in there and pull it out. It looked like there was so much room. There wasn't no crap on top of it or around it. I mean, it was it was like it this is. car was built for converter change competitions.
0: It was. It's absolutely perfect for the job because it's a, it's a solid or a slip joint car, right? So it doesn't have a drive shaft. got a, a slip collar. And it didn't have blowback bars on the transmission. So it's literally like, take the slip collar loose, converter bolts, bell housing bolts. That's it. <laughs> and Johnny did it. Like, I wasn't up there. I, were you calling the action?
1: I was not calling. I was watching it on the live feed. I was in the tower while Jake was down there with them. Now, uh, Montgomery uh, Capital City Motorsports Park has built a shop outside of the the area where you are staged to pull into the water box. They've built a really nice four-bay shop. Luke, I don't know what that thing was. It looked like it was about 80 feet, 100 feet long by 30 yeah. feet deep. It was big, real big shop. It rained. It, it halted the racing action for the evening. So they they've got the converter swap people to go in the, the building there and do their deal. So that probably impacted it. Uh Johnny being in it impacted it. It didn't get to happen as it was scheduled at the time it was scheduled for Wednesday, got moved to Thursday. That impacted it. Ultimately there were two people. There were Corey Coston and Johnny Ezel. I didn't get a chance to talk to Corey ahead of time. I talked to Johnny. Johnny, how long is this going to take you? Uh, I don't know, Jed. I mean, it'll be less than 10 minutes, but I don't know how. Johnny, <laughs> you just said less than 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I do and he was
0: like you could have a team of three. He was essentially by himself, right?
1: Yeah, he had. Uh, they, it was two of them. Um, but he, he was so confident. And I'm like, Johnny, that's not even possible. And he said, Jed, I do it all the time. I've done this a thousand times. It's going to take me less than 10 minutes. Like, okay, dude, if you say so. Well, it took him 10 minutes and 11 seconds to win it, but he had to charge the battery for well over a minute of that. He finished in eight minutes and some change, Luke. Luke, he swapped the down torque converter in eight minutes and some change. He had the transmission sitting on the ground. With the, and pulled the converter out, set it on the ground, picked it up, put it back in in four minutes and some odd seconds. Do you understand, Luke? It takes me four minutes to fix a bowl of cereal. <laughs> this son of a buck had his transmission on the ground with the converter out of it. And there was it wasn't like bolts loose and this thing falling out of it. It was like it would go down the racetrack and he rolled it in there, had to jack it up and everything, and had the damn transmission out in a little over four minutes. I was blown away. I'm and Johnny, Johnny
0: thought, I'm not disappointed anyone else did that, or I'm glad no one else subjected themselves to that embarrassment.
1: Poor old Corey Causton was working his full head off. He's got a radiator sitting on top of the transmission. This thing had crap everywhere. And he's laying in there pulling transmission bolts out, and Johnny's like doing the click 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 putting his converter back in, and and Corey's still pulling stuff out.
0: <laughs> oh, congrats, Johnny bracket racer! We found something else add to the long list that Johnny's good at.
1: Corey wasn't slow by any means.
0: No, they got it done in like 13 minutes or something, right?
1: Yeah, but Johnny's big old country-fed tail. <laughs> I mean he just he just reached down in there and got that transmission this thing's full of fluid and got a converter in it he reached in there and got it like it was a bag of apples <laughs> it was it was impressive very impressive <laughs> I man I should have known a guy that can weld one back together in 20 minutes in the pits should have been able to swap the converter in just a short period of time and he did it
0: without the aid of a ratchet strap
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no ratchet straps were involved.
0: I think that's everything that's anything from the Great American Guaranteed Million. Jed, we've got a little bit of NHRA Championship drama to check to catch up on. Uh, but first, check this out. All right,
1: guys, starting November the 1st, you're able to pre order parts for our November sale. Our friends at BTE have a tremendous sale going on and you need to take advantage of it. That means you'll receive the 20% discount without even having to call us on November the 26th, typically the Black Friday sale. We'll simply charge you on the 26th when the sale actually begins. So you'll be off to the races. So what does that mean? Starting November 1st, you pre-order for the Black Friday sale, you get 20% off. And when all that starts taking place on the 26th, You don't even have to call. What's on sale? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's power glides, torque converters, and turbo 350 and turbo 400 variations. So you've got basically transmissions and torque converters of any kind that we offer that you're going to be able to take advantage of a sale price on. Remember, pre-orders run November the 1st through November the 24th. So pick your parts today and call us 1-800-626-1828. When the tree turns green, all
0: right, Jed. Since the last time that we talked, obviously the NHRA season has wrapped up in a nice little bow. We didn't have a show last week, so since we last talked, we had the last divisional event in Las Vegas, and then obviously the NHRA World Finals in Pomona. Coming into Vegas, there were three titles yet to be decided. Uh, so I'll start with the first one chronologically, the first one that was decided and also like by far the most intriguing Little top sportsman, big jet top sportsman was awesome.
1: Yeah, Luke, I, honestly, I'm gonna have to take your word for it because uh, I, I haven't really paid much attention to what was going on there, obviously being in the million and everything else. But um, looking at this box score and the, the, the show notes, I mean, that's really cool. Jimmy Lewis. Uh, extremely clutch there when he needed to be.
0: We both picked Jimmy, right? Like he was the underdog and we both had that much confidence in Jimmy Lewis, nothing against Paul Metzos, but it came down to those two essentially. Right. And just to refresh everyone's memory, the situation coming into the Vegas divisional event was this Paul Metzos led um, by a little over two rounds. Jimmy was improving a first round loss. So Jimmy had to win round one, Win round two to to pass Paul Mitzos, and then at that point, if they were both still in, Jimmy had to match Mitsos round for round to stay stay ahead. Basically, so Jimmy gets through round one, Mitzos gets through round one. So round two is the big round, right? With the win light, Jimmy Lewis can take over the championship lead. Right? Doesn't win round two, it's not happening. Paul Mitzos is your world champ. Well, they're back to back parents, right? Lewis is first. Jimmy rolls up there, stages, has a decent light, shakes the tires. 630 Pro Charger car power comes in, shakes the tires. What I understand, like he gets pretty crossed up, he's giving it the old college try. And at some point, Jimmy Lewis has to give up. Lift. Oh, God. What a way to end the season. What a way to not win the championship, except Jimmy Lewis's opponent, who's a second slower in a top sportsman car. Doesn't check up, breaks out. Jimmy Lewis, national hopes, national title hopes still alive. Paul Mitzos, meanwhile, sitting in the water box, watching all of this happen. I would have to assume that when Jimmy Lewis shakes the tires, gets crossed up, shuts off, Paul Mitzos is celebrating. And then he looks at the scoreboard. Oh, it ain't over. Now, suddenly, Mitzos has to win that round. To continue to have a shot, right? Which he does. He recovers, wins the round. Now they're both in round three. So, again, at this point, Jimmy Lewis has to match Paul Mitzos round for round. If, if they lose the same round, Jimmy Lewis is the world champion. If Mitzos outlasts him, Paul Mitzos is the world champion. So, in round three, it gets even better. Again, they are back to back pairs going down the racetrack. This time, Mitzos goes first in round three. You have to win the round to have any chance to win the world. Paul Mitzos, 008, dead on six at 206 mile an hour. There's 14 total for you. Jimmy Lewis comes right behind him in the water box, sees that wind light, knows at that point he has to turn on the wind light or he will not be the world champion. Jimmy Lewis, 14 takes six, down 20 mile an hour at 200 plus miles an hour. They're both going to round four. In round four, just to add a layer to this, Paul Mitzos is racing for the bye to the final. So if his win light comes on, Jimmy now has to not only win round four, he'd have to win the semifinals, and then they would run one round, winner take all in the final. Mitsos is out first this time, and this is where it comes to an end. Chris Newman defeats Paul Mitzos in round four, denies him the bye to the final, and essentially... Clinches the championship for Jimmy Lewis, who just for good measure comes in behind, wins that round over Jeff Connolly, advances to the semifinals, and it's over. Except it's not quite over. Not so fast, my friend. Jimmy Lewis's semifinal opponent, after all this, after all this drama, Jimmy Lewis faces Ed Open in the semifinals. And mathematically, Ed Open still has a shot. If Open defeats Jimmy Lewis in the semis, wins the race, and then goes and wins Pomona, he's your world champion. So it's not quite done for Jimmy. And let's face it, like that seems kind of far-fetched. But at that point, if he beats Jimmy, he's in the final. And Pomona's five more rounds. Like he's six win lights away. Jimmy Lewis comes back around in the semifinals, dispatches that open, and clinches his world championship. You couldn't do it in a more dramatic fashion.
1: No, it was obviously a ton of drama surrounding the the uh, the class and this particular event, Luke, and, you know, the whole rattling the tires and, and what was going through Metsos Mine as he's watching that. He has to – that was the high and the low of the century. That's that bad beat. Yeah, within, <laughs> within eight seconds or whatever it took uh, Lewis to get down the racetrack. So uh, just an incredible – uh dramatic ending to that category. Um and you know, hats off to Jimmy Lewis. Uh obviously had his share of challenges, got a big break, and then went on and took advantage of his ability and equipment. And the 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 taking six thou down 20 mile per hour, I mean that was that was a heck of a run. I mean it just shows the guy's talented. So um congrats to jimmy lewis that's a that's a heck of a finish for him
0: no doubt like i said with all due respect to taylor bowling i think paul mitzos gets the bad beat award for me for this week just for that like you're sitting in the water you're watching the guy in front of you that has to lose that round really for you to win the world if if he loses that round it's over you're the world champion and you watch him shut off before 100 feet only he won (laughs) That's that's rough. Like that's a bad beat. That's not even the the round that you're competing in. That's a bad beat. Oh,
1: it's a terrible beat. I mean, AJ was a bad beat against yeah. Jeff Sarah. That's a good uh, one. Yeah. Donnie Burleson was was multiple bad beats. I mean that that guy made killer runs at the million, and could not line up against people that could do anything wrong.
0: I mean, the uh, champs' opponent that was Jackson Collier. That was perfect. Take six, like fourth yeah. round in the million. Yes. That's a bad
1: beat. It's a lot of bad beats, but this is a. Uh, this is a, a season dedicated right. to this outcome, and man, that was a tough beat for Mitsos. As bad as it gets.
0: Yeah, kudos to Jimmy Lewis and congrats to him. That's world championship number two. Um, I think, like, I don't have the data in front of me. Like, twenty years removed from a super guest world championship, to see Jimmy and Phyllis do that again. This time in Top Sportsman, pretty cool stuff. The other two championships that were not decided the last time that we talked, Big Jed Super Comp and Stock Eliminator. Super Comp, probably the least dramatic. Christopher Dodd managed to dodge all of the bullets. And as a result, he wins back-to-back national championships. We talked a few episodes ago about how rare that is in any category, but specifically in Super Comp. The last chance to unseat Christopher Dodd was Devin Eisenhower. After the dust had cleared in Las Vegas, Devin went to Pomona, having to make the final round in order to surpass Christopher Dodd and win his second world championship. He did not do so. Devin lost in round two. Christopher Dodd is your back to back NHRA SuperComp world champion. Now, stock eliminator, Big Jet, it wasn't quite top sportsman. Stock eliminator had its share of drama, right? Jam and Jerry Ammons, Joe Santangelo, as we mentioned on our last show, there were a handful of other competitors who still had a mathematical shot going into Vegas. Although neither Emmons nor Santangelo were able to improve and better their scores in Las Vegas, they came into Pomona as the only two with a shot. Joe Santangelo was in the lead by less than two rounds. Jerry Emmons was improving a first round loss. So what that means is that Jerry Emmons had to win round two in Pomona. Do so, he's your world champion. Not not so much. I think Santangelo actually had a chance to improve, but he was improving like a semi-final or final round or something like that. So we mentioned on a previous show that qualifying strategy here was going to be interesting, right? It could definitely play a role, and it did. Fifty-seven car field in Pomona. What that means in stock eliminator is that, particularly in an instance where second round is the round you need to win, right? Fifty-seven car field. If you have a fast enough car. To qualify number one or number two, it cuts the rounds that you have to win to win the world championship in half. Obviously, with fifty-seven cars, the number one qualifier gets the first round by run. Fifty-seven then falls to twenty-nine. The number two qualifier would get the second round by run. So Jerry Emmons and family puts that thing on kill on the last session of qualifying, gets to number two. I think it was only four thousandths of a second off the pole. That lines him up for that second round by. So now Jerry Emmons needs one win light to win the world stages up round one of mona opposite john irving john irving turns it red jerry emmons three tenths of a second behind him now his 002. so he was there for it right and with that jerry emmons secures his first nhra world championship well i say with that jerry did have to come back second round of stage for the byron as someone who has lost a byron I can tell you that that's not necessarily a given. You do have to stage <laughs> under your own power. You do have to take the treat. I would just have to imagine that's the most nervous anyone has ever been for a Byron. Like, You don't normally think of anything that could go wrong in that situation. I guarantee you, Jerry Emmons thought of everything that could possibly go wrong in that situation. Thankfully, it did not. Had something gone wrong in that situation, I think we would have to... Uh, put an end to the bad beat segment, that would be the bad beat of a lifetime. Like if you lost a buy run to lose the world championship, thankfully that did not happen. Jerry Emmons, your 2021 NHRA stock eliminator world champion.
1: Yeah. Great to see them and his family get this done. Luke and, and Jerry getting his first uh, national event or uh, national title. In the stock category, which is loaded with talent and great equipment and uh, certainly it's always seemingly a season long battle, all the categories are, but stock just seemed like it's always got a handful of people that, that could accomplish the goal. But Emmons doing that and turning a 002 in the, the, the biggest round probably he's ever staged in his life. For sure. Uh that that was that's incredible. I mean, that's uh that's tremendous uh grip on your emotion and and your uh I guess adrenaline and then to, to turn that into a championship with that 002. Uh obviously John Irving turned it red when uh when the binder came down or came away or whatever he does with it and saw that, that had been the best feeling on earth. So Good for Jerry and the Emmons family and, and all their supporters. So that's a that's a huge deal for them.
0: The coolest part of the whole thing, Jed, I don't know if you got an opportunity to see this. I saw like a, uh, I assume it was someone's phone camera video from the starting line. And to see the reaction of the Emmons brothers, their family, their friends, I think they had about a dozen people on the starting line. I'm just, man, I've said there ain't many things to do this. It got me all the feels, man. Like it was, they're jumping up and down, they're screaming, they're like, it was obviously that's a special moment, but particularly knowing the tight knit nature of that family and that group and just seeing how much that moment means to the people that care about you, you know, obviously in this case, it's Sherry Emmons, but I think on some level that applies to to most, if not all of us. Yeah. Like it, it got me, man. It was good stuff.
1: Yeah, Luke, m- much like what you were seeing at the end of the track in the million yeah. mm-hmm. with, with those competitors turning on wind lights and, and the emotion that they were displaying and, and this same deal with the Emmons family after this win secured the national title for them. Uh, nothing better than than raw, unrehearsed emotion in sports, whether it's football baseball, racing, whatever, nothing better than that. It is it is the ultimate release of just excitement, uh, relief, everything. Uh, so I love watching those situations. I have not got to see the, that video, but now I'm going to go try to find it.
0: Yeah, it's worth your time. It's, uh, it's 30 seconds of good stuff. Um, one other quick note from Pomona. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. No one doubled at Pomona, which means that no one doubled in 2021. There was no double winners at an NHRA national event in 2021. I don't have my notes in front of me. I know we said it on last episode, but I believe that's the first time that's happened in like 11 years. Kind of a rare feat. Interesting, interesting stuff. No doubles in 2021. Shouts to the doubles. That's all I got, Big Jed. I think that's it. I think that's the show.
1: Look, that last little tidbit It's interesting because you asked me last year, Jed, why are we seeing so many more doubles? You know, it's just seeming every, every year there's, you know, multiple double ups. And I said, well, Luke, it's because there's more opportunity. There's more people with two opportunities at the races than there's yeah. ever been at NHRA races everywhere else. So that's going to continue. That thing's going to continue on and on and on. I would have thought the, so too. Then the very next year, there's probably more doubles this year than there's ever been more opportunities to double and it didn't happen. So shouts to parody. In sportsman drag racing. Luke, great show. Uh, again, uh, don't I know you don't want to talk about it, and it was obvious because you didn't talk much about it, but hell of a win by you. Uh, that 80 grand performance was a big deal. That could have just as easily been a million. I know you drove well in that one too, but uh, really cool to watch you do your thing in a car that you won the Super Gas World Championship with to come out and do that on that stage with the 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 bracket racers and I know that's your group too but it was very very impressive and uh, congrats to you and and Jess and the boys for uh getting to to celebrate that it was it was cool to see you get to do it
0: thanks Jen it was special it was uh no no better way to uh to kind of put the cherry on top of what's been a a dream season than that and yeah to your point like I'll definitely take some pride in the uh the fact that in this day and age, like, I don't, I don't get to run with that crowd very often. And granted, if I ran with that crowd 20 times, I probably don't win more than that one race, right? Like, it's just hard. It's tough. Um, but to be able to come out and have success, you know, a little bit, I don't even, you know, at this point in my career, probably a little bit out of my element. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It felt, felt good.
1: Well, this ain't no, this is bracket racing elite commercial, but if I were going to choose someone that I thought could help me improve my racing program. I damn sure start with a guy that just won a super gas world championship and took the same car and won on the biggest scene in bracket racing. So, uh, it's a testament to your skills. And I know you got a great team around you that helps with this is bracket racing elite, but, um, the people that are involved in your program, that's, uh, that's got to feel really good. I, I think they're already assured that they've chosen the right guy, but by God, if they wasn't, that should have solidified it for them.
0: Shouts to four eighties in a buggy. It worked out out really good for me
1: because you were coming through Birmingham on Monday and uh, was just looking for a good exit to stop and eat, and you chose mine, and uh, I got some free full-moon barbecues. So it was a a shout-out to me, too. I I hit a home run with that deal. That was a really big deal for me.
0: (laughs) Good stuff. Good times as always.
1: I appreciate it too, bud. All right, guys, that wraps us up. Um, what a good show. This was an awesome show. It, it had some really good stuff in it, and we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, certainly didn't last quite as long as I thought it would, so that's a really good thing. Hopefully you've enjoyed the the discussions that we've had, but if you didn't, let us know about it. If you differ in opinion about people hitting a wall or people running over cones or whatever, if you think that we're wrong, don't call us dumbasses. But it's okay to let us know that you think we're wrong. Let us know right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. We would prefer that you do it in the public because you're probably not near as nasty in public as you are in a private message. But if you choose to do it through a private message, producer Mark will get that and let us know what you're thinking as well. So uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you on uh, on what you thought about today's show and certainly what you'd like to hear more of or less of or whatever. Just let us know you're out there. Uh, Luke, you've already done shouts, so I'll let everybody know that if you like to use the Twitter, uh, Luke and I love to tweet, and we'd love to tweet with you about this show or any other topic that you got in mind. Reach out to us. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We want to hear from you any way that you want to through our social media outlets. Again, we appreciate you listening. It's been an awesome show. And we can't wait to talk to you again about more sportsman drag racing. Uh, Luke, the show was over. And I don't know the last time you crawled my ass like you just did (laughs) about not giving you your time for shouts. I misunderstood something you said there in the normal shout segment.
0: You always tee me up.
1: Yeah, I always tee you up. But I felt like you didn't have them and that you were done. I misread you totally. But by God, after what you just did to me when the show went off, you can rest assured, if you don't have shouts next time, you'll get your shout segment. (laughs) You better figure it out, because you just chewed my ass up one side and down the other. So, Luke, without further ado, it's my favorite time of the show. Let's hear them shouts, bad.
0: Shouts to our friends at Full Moon Barbecue. Shouts to dumbasses. And us being dumbasses. You might take exception to that, Jed, but if somebody no. wants to dumbass me, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm Come on, I'm bring my man. <laughs> I'm, I'm down. Shouts to lighting the Racetrack on Fire and Brandon Mass. Holy hell, the racetrack was on fire, Big Chip. Yes, it was. Shouts to Paul Mitzos and Taylor Bowling. Hashtag bad beat. Shouts oh. to Chloe. Shouts to Bandit. Shouts to dogs everywhere. <laughs> that is officially all I got. <laughs>
1: I'm so glad you chewed my ass out and got us to come back on and do this. That was freaking awesome. That was some.
0: Shouts to your microphone and headset too. Oh my God.
1: I deserved everything you said to me when you chewed me out. All right, guys, that's it. See you next time.
0: For a limited time, learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.